Medicare cuts slammed by AMA, Billa Wheeler family left to rot in detention, Morrison after more cuts to job security, and the good news is about trees and bees. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison and it is a pleasure to be coming to you live from the bedroom that I share with the fantastic <laughs> and fabulous Van Batum. And of course, I shouldn't forget Germanicus, who is also joining us on the bed this afternoon. Yes, this is the first time, everyone, we have done the podcast from the bed. Uh, it, it, being, it is polar weather outside and is raining so heavily that it's hitting the roof of the shed and the recordings were unusable. So, yes, coming at you live from the the patchwork quilt. <laughs> That's right. So it's, uh, yes, it's freezing, freezing cold. And look, it's another big, big week uh, in Australia this week. Obviously, uh, COVID in Victoria, uh, just very briefly on this, it's not going to be one of our feature stories today, but just briefly on this, uh, it does look like lockdown restrictions are easing Woo-hoo! for Melbournians and for regional Victorians on midnight uh, Thursday into Friday. Uh, there does seem to be now a case in Queensland, possibly uh, a woman and her partner have driven during lockdown through Victoria, New South Wales, to Queensland. This is very late-breaking news. Um, one of the advantages of a late recording of the uh, of the podcast this week. Uh, but did we- you hear the passag there, everybody? <laughs> I don't know if you heard Ben's passag there. Anyway. Um, Hopefully that doesn't turn out to be a huge problem, but we'll wait and see. Tune in to the weekend wrap for more detail on that uh, when it will be available. Uh, But today we're going to talk about the cuts to Medicare van that the Morrison government has uh, seemingly rushed through. So again, they've just sort of quietly gone about announcing almost a thousand changes to how Medicare pays for Pretty important treatments and surgeries. So they're, they're due to come in from July 1, which is only three, three and a half weeks away or something. It's a bit of a stealth attack on Medicare. Stealth attack. You, I just find this hilarious. So in 2016, the Labor Party went to the election. This is when Malcolm Turnbull was Prime Minister. I don't mm. know if anybody remembers him, but um, went to the election going, the Liberals are going to cut Medicare. And they went really hard on it. And they were like, the Liberals are going to cut Medicare. They hate Medicare. They've always hated Medicare. They want Medicare to go. And the Liberals threw their hands up in the air. And, oh, how could you say such a thing? This is a scare. And then accused Labor of lying. And well, 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 what do you know? They are, what are they trying to do, Ben? What are they trying to do? Oh, cut, cut Medicare. Medicare. And this is the, the, you know, this is the thing. It's not just this year. So the AMA... Uh, That's the Australian Medical Association. The Doctors' Union. Though they don't like using that word. No, but they are. That's what they are. Um, They've they've said that there was changes in November 2018 when the the first sort of rolling review happened uh, and 70 spinal surgery uh, items became 60 and people were suddenly left out of pocket. Spinal surgeries were delayed. I mean, spinal surgery is a pretty serious thing. Ben, you've had spinal fun in your life. Oh, well, was it serious? Would you have loved to have woken up from that particular injury with a bill for tens of thousands of dollars? No, I wouldn't have. And thankfully, I didn't require surgery, so I, did, I didn't have any any 
significant bills like that. Um, but, you know, so there was cuts in 2018. There's more cuts now. The changes from July 1 are general surgery, which I guess is just everything, orthopedic surgery, which is your bones, cardi- cardiac surgical services, vascular sur- services. Which so is varicose veins. Which affects a lot of older Australians. Yep. A general practice and primary care. Well, that's your GP, right? That's That's your GP visit. Yeah, that's everything. So the AMA have said this is going to cost hundreds um, for various services and thousands for others. And Greg Hunt, the Minister for Health, uh, has gone on a bit of a, you know, a media spree saying that, you know, really it's a huge achievement, an achievement, he used this term, for the number of private um, health insurance recipients to go from 30% to 45%. Like, that's a good thing. No, that's not a good thing. And then he said, and my favourite words, and hasn't the Labor Party made quite a, a day out of this particular comment, that he would like to see us move to a more American-style healthcare system. Well, i got to say, Van, like, the, the Liberals have cut billions out of health. Like, they've, they've really done a number on it. And for him to come out and say they want an American-style healthcare system is pretty galling um, when, you know, they... They've also bungled the vaccination program. Um, frankly, I wouldn't mind an American-style vaccination program where people are actually getting vaccinated. Where they had to mobilise the army to do it because they don't actually have any public servants. Well, this is the problem, right? So they're just all over the place. Now I know there's um, quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of community backlash on this, and of course our sponsors, Australian Unions, are running a petition, which I think people should get onto. Like just full disclosure, uh, you know these are. These are the show sponsors, Australian Unions, and they've got, they've made a another um, bespoke petition site for the week on Wednesday. I love how we get a bespoke petition site. It's so us. Yeah, that's right. It's australianunions.org.au slash Medicare Wow. Wow stands for week on Wednesday, but also wow because we're kind of wowy. And Medicare is so wow, right? I like, love Medicare. Yeah. I'm such a huge fan. As you will know, I don't have private health insurance because I am an artist. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I have had to have some have some surgery over the past couple of years entirely as a public patient, and I can't tell you the difference it's made to me to not have to worry about how much it costs, given the fact I am and let's underline this word, an artist, and therefore not exactly the most stable of tables in the consistent income department. And so Medicare is wonderful. You know, public health care is like the – it's the apogee of civilization. It's it's our commitment of what we owe to one another. What we owe to one another as citizens and a community is to care for any of us when we fall ill. That is the point of a public health care system. It is an expression of the most pure morality and care and responsibility and what defines us as a community and a country and we can watch the absolute basket fire of healthcare go on in the United States Mm, mm. and let's be fair it is a basket fire ask any American friend of yours like any American you know ask them about their healthcare situation and you will hear nothing but horror stories well I saw saw a meme um, that was saying that it's cheaper for an American on the east coast to fly to Spain, pay Spanish rates to have a a broken leg fixed and fly home after a week's recovery than it is 
for them to get a broken leg fixed in America. Now, that's orthopedic surgery, folks. That's one of the categories which is being cut under these Liberal Party changes. And I think it's important we remember that it was the Australian Union Movement and former ACTU President Bob Hawke as Prime Minister of Australia, Labor Prime Minister of Australia, who introduced Medicare. And I saw somebody today was sharing around the letter that Bob Hawke sent to every Australian. Yeah, Elbow was sharing. Oh, of course it's, it's yeah, on yeah, Albo's Instagram, everyone. Yeah, and it's and it's worth having a look at. You know, we were one of the first countries to really get this together, and it's something that has to be protected. You know, in the corporatization of everything in our society, the financialization of everything in our society, we can't afford. The average Australian can't afford to go down the American route. More Americans are declared bankrupt because of medical bills than for any other reason. Like, I don't want to see that in Australia. But it's more, it's the social cost in America as well. So you have people who stick in jobs that they hate, like absolutely hate, that make them miserable. They give them psychological problems that cause family dislocation and God knows what else because they rely on the health insurance from that particular job. You know, I have a really good American friend who when he, I met him when he was an um, independent theatre producer, was making all these beautiful, you know, mm. wacky pieces of art. He found out he had a congenital heart condition and that it could be a problem later in life. And that changed his whole insurance outlook because it was a pre-existing condition. And of oh. course, if you've got a pre-existing condition. So he took out massive loans, went back to university and trained as a tax accountant Um in order, sorry, as a tax attorney, in order to earn enough money to cover the future liability of his health care. And that's the kind of system Greg, what, Greg Hunt wants for Australians. And that's what Greg Hunt wants, that you drop out of the career that you love and have to make completely different and take on risk and debt and everything else in order to minimise exposure to an even greater debt later in life. And, like, he's an awesome person. He had an incredible contribution to make in terms of his creative mm. career. And I love him very much if he's listening to this. You know, I don't um, oppose any of the decisions you've made because you had to make them. Yeah. But these are the kind of decisions that get factored into the American workplace all the time. And it's not a happy society as a result. Like, it's a hugely under-pressure society. Those of you who haven't seen Michael Moore's film Sicko, which was made some time ago now, but the situation hasn't changed, it's just heartbreaking. Like, about you can have the medical insurance and still get denied care. Yeah. You know, and there's no protection. I had a friend whose mother went horse riding across the border. Mm. They live in Illinois and I think her mother went horse riding in Wisconsin Mm. and broke her arm. And because she had broken her arm in Wisconsin and not Illinois, her insurance would not pay to cover the injury because they only covered her for injuries in the state of Illinois. Like the idea that you would need travel insurance to go between say New South Wales and Queensland. Can you imagine? It's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. You know, so look, I think I think we can all agree we need to do everything we can to protect Medicare, to save Medicare, to stop the Morrison government, to stop Greg Hunt, who is the health minister, another in a long string of Morrison ministers who are the minister against the portfolio, which they're supposed to be uh, leading. So don't forget, you can 
you can, you, you know, you don't have to just get angry and be frustrated about it. You can take real action. You can join your union. Unions around the country, not just health unions, but all sorts of unions I'm seeing are doing stuff about this. Because um, it's outrageous. It's such a fundamental part. Of, like every working person needs health care. And it's not Every something- non-working person needs well, health care. that's right. All children need health care yeah, as well. that's right. Well, you know, like it's for, when I say every working person, I mean everybody, every, every working class person. Right. Like, <laughs> let's just let's just cut through it. I mean, every working class person and every person needs health care. So go to AustralianUnions.org.au slash Medicare. Wow. That's our bespoke site. Yep. And sign the petition and share it yeah. and make sure everybody in your family and your community knows that this is outrageous and we don't have to put up with it. No. We don't. And I can imagine the Liberals got the shock of their lives when their friends, the doctors, came out and went, uh-uh. Yeah. Like, imagine that. In three weeks' time, we're going to cut 900 services off the list of things that people can get an operation for that, that's that's covered under the universal healthcare system. There'll be people who are booked in for operations, people who are booked in for medical appointments that will suddenly not be covered. That's what that means. And that's what the AMA is saying. That's what the doctors are saying. They're saying, hang on a minute, you can't just spring this on people. Medical procedures get booked weeks, sometimes months in advance. To go, oh, in three weeks' time, we're taking that off and taking that off. Well, even if there's a replacement for it or even if there's a substitute for it, the equipment, the surgeon, the, the the space is not necessarily available. No, these things are very tightly timetabled as well, we know. Yeah. I just, I mean, I find it, I find it sadly unsurprising. Yeah. Like, for those of you who aren't up on the terrible tragedy of healthcare in Australia, so Chifley tried to bring in universal healthcare um, at, after the Second World War and was struck down by, uh, from memory, was struck down by the High Court and wasn't able to do it. There's something about making doctor, forcing doctors to tick a box was equivalent to conscription of labour or something, I think. Yeah, the, so there was, the you know... judgment at the time. And the, mm. and the Tories fought it. And it meant that working-class people just used to die, like would receive injuries and would not be able to afford healthcare to rehabilitate from them mm. um, or to receive treatment from them. And um, then in the 70s, Whitlam introduced... Medicare, Medibank, Medibank it was called, um, and a universal healthcare scheme. And then Fraser, who everybody remembers now as your old lefty uncle, who wasn't the Fraser government, not elected in 1975, so much as appointing itself in the constitutional crisis, um, they disbanded it. They got rid of it. The Liberal Party actually has the destruction of Medicare in their DNA and then Hawke brought it back and and then some. And, of course, it is one of the most popular policies in Australia. Like, overwhelmingly, Australians love Medicare, whether you're left, right or indifferent, the idea that you can go and get healthcare when you need it and not pay a million dollars for a baby. So the Labor Party put out a meme on what it costs to have a baby in the United States mm. and have having your baby in a hospital and there's a really good, by the way, excellent episode of our favourite show, Superstore, yeah. about this, about a woman who's in labour yeah, and yeah. has to make decisions about how much she's willing to pay to give birth to a baby and a million dollars it totals up to. And, yeah, sure, like some people are insured and can cover that, but other people aren't and what happens to them is genuinely horrific. Well, you know, as... As someone who was born the year Hawke became Prime Minister, I was 
I'm part of the generation that was raised under the understanding that that universal healthcare is a universal right. Like to some degree, I think you know my generation and maybe generations after me almost take for granted that this is a thing that we have here, and not every country has it. And in fact, if it were to go away or to continue to be cut in the way it has been, then we would miss it. We may not miss it the day it's cut, but there'll come a point where you want to have a baby or you break a leg. Or, or your kid breaks a leg. Or you become or you become aged and require some kind of treatment because that's what happens as we get older and you're going to need that universal healthcare system. So we should never, ever take it for granted. And I know many, many people don't. And I think, you know, it's that's why I'm going to push it again. Go to australianunions.org.au backslash Medicare wow. For week on Wednesday. All right, I think I think we've I think we've made the point there. Like Medicare has to be saved. I want to move on to something that you know is is in the healthcare frame at the moment, and that's the the Bill Wheeler family. And I'm gonna I'm gonna pronounce their surname. I'm sure I'm gonna get this wrong, so I apologise to anyone who I may be offended by this. But um, the, it, their actual names are the Murugappans, um, and it's uh, Priya. N- Nares, Copy, and Thonica. 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 Um, they're a family of four, mother, father, uh, Tamils who fled Sri Lanka during the brutal, brutal civil war there where Tamils were targeted by the Sri Lankan government. That is a statement of historical fact. Um, they they met in uh, Biloela in Queensland, a, a town which has among its many attractions and meatworks um, that is hard work. It's an industry that always looking for workers because it's not particularly fun work and it is quite difficult. And a shout out to all of our friends in the Meat Workers Union, Absolutely. the mighty, mighty meaties. Absolutely. have always been very kind and good to Ben and I well, over the years. As you know, Van, my mum worked in the Meatworks in Ballarat till it closed down. Um, so, you know, it, it is it is hard, good, honest work. Um, and look, you know, Priya and Nardis were there. They... They had two babies. They met. They got married. They got married. Then had the babies. Is probably the way that worked out. And they lived happy community lives. They were part of that community until about 2018. Yes, when they were forced into immigration detention. And of course, what we saw was a massive uh, groundswell of support for them to stay in the community of Biloela by the people of. So it's a local campaign to keep them in the community. There was a petition that went around at the time that they were being threatened with um, deportation. 350,000 people signed it. Um, I think you attended a protest. Yeah, Yeah, I was at a protest at the federal court when they were being, they were actually being loaded onto a plane um, that took off and was on its way to Sri Lanka where the, the family really were in fear of, of their lives. Um, and the federal court injuncted the government, the Morrison government, uh, and made them turn the plane around and bring them back. And they were put into detention in Melbourne for about five months. Um, during that time, they weren't allowed much access to sunlight or the outside world at all. Uh, and eventually, um, they in 2019, they were sent to Christmas Island. So Christmas Island... I don't know, and we're giving a lot of background here because I think it's important people understand the whole situation. Like, how did we get to this point? Um, 
and there's a 400-bed facility in Christmas Island. Um, this family from Biloela, and that's where they're from. That's actually where they're from, um, are the only residents. They're the only people in this facility. Uh, they, it, they're guarded 24 hours a day. Yep, so the little girls go to school on Christmas Island, but with the permanent security presence. Like, it's... It's just phenomenally poor. Like they've now, they've now got numerous medical conditions, including diabetes, problems with their teeth, um, uh, problems with a lack of exposure to sunlight, um, medical conditions that could have been prevented, realistically could have been prevented, had they been living in their community, had they been in Biloela and able to see their doctor and live their lives. But now they've been in detention for effectively three years or yeah, nearly three years. Yeah, it's more than a thousand days they've been in detention. And and Thanika, who is three years old, who is, in my view, Australian, like she, she was, was born. She was born here. She was born here. You know, that, yeah. That I can't, the only home she has ever known is the shores of this country or an internment camp. And as you know. <sighs> Essentially, the Morrison government is treating an Australian citizen as though they are somehow a criminal. And not only that, an Australian who is under the age of five. Yeah, she's four, I think. Now. Yeah. So there's, there's, I'm sure there's some legalese reason why she's not an Australian citizen. But, you know, she was born here. And frankly, folks, if we're going to start picking and choosing on that basis, I think, you know, There'd be some cabinet members who need to watch out for their citizenship, frankly. But look, the the point I want to make here is those medical conditions, those untreated medical conditions have now resulted in this little girl, this four-year-old little girl, um, getting pneumonia, not getting treated for it properly. Because no, they gave her Panadol, apparently. Instead, the, the mother knew something was terribly, terribly wrong with this little girl. She wasn't getting any better. She was begging the doctors on Christmas Island for help because there are doctors there. Yeah. But I, I just want people to be very aware of what Christmas Island is, a 400-person internment camp that we are keeping this family in. So the mother went to the doctor, said mm. there's something terribly wrong. The doctor went, oh, yeah, yeah, aspirin and Panadol. Well, she had pneumonia. She should have been given antibiotics in the first place and the pneumonia has developed into septicemia which is a, like a blood infection yeah she is desperately desperately sick marisa payne um was doing the media rounds today and marisa payne who's the minister for she, she's uh, she's she's the foreign minister now oh yeah yeah foreign minister that's and right. she yeah sorry i forgot because she's the minister prime minister for women marisa yeah payne. yeah that's and right. nothing says prime minister for women than letting a four-year-old girl get septicemia from um pneumonia well she was saying that the medical standards were broadly comparable on Christmas Island to the rest of Australia. And I'm like, you tell me the last time a four-year-old was diagnosed with pneumonic septicemia in a leafy Liberal seat. Let's bring it back to, well, maybe that's the kind of healthcare system they're really envisaging. You know, we were talking about cuts to Medicare. When she says broadly comparable, maybe she's talking future tense rather than present. Oh, it's unbelievable, that poor little girl. And, you know, I think that there are lots of things that are brought up by this. One, we're not the good guys anymore, Australia. If we are interning four-year-olds and letting them get 
medical, like pneumonic septicemia, like that's on all of us that that is happening. And I think people are overwhelmingly outraged. Yeah. Like Australians are, are good people. We have things like Medicare because we understand social contracts to one another. But somewhere along the line, you know, there was a, a dehumanisation of refugees that went on that allowed this great compartmentalisation to take place that, you know, a, a, some a way that we would never, ever allow a little, uh, you know, Australian girl to mm. be treated on shore is now suddenly conceivable to deny medical care to her because she's on Christmas Island. And it's like, what happened? Like, and this is the end of all the crazy refugee wars that went on in Australian policy for years and years and years and years, you know, where refugees were demonised, mm. you know, boat people, queue jumpers, and and this is the result, is that there's now a little girl in hospital in Perth. And I think overwhelmingly Australians look at the face of that poor little girl and go, hang on, no, well, no, this is not all right. There's a there's a video of of. Priya, the the mother, um, with the little girl, you basically begging to be allowed to go home to Villa Wheeler and to for help to to look after her daughter, and you know again the the is she immigration Karen Andrews the minister who's responsible for this total debacle um, has you know gone around saying oh well we might send them to America or New Zealand they might take them you know and you know the the family hasn't been consulted on that in any way no not in any way and frankly the whole thing has become so perverse right like the whole situation has gone from oh we're protecting our borders like what from a four-year-old girl with septicemic pneumonia like how is that we don't need to protect ourselves from a four-year-old child like we're spending who, was born six, here? who was born here we're spending six million dollars to keep that facility going six million dollars to imprison a family where both the parents worked the children were engaged in the community through school and care and all those things and the community wants that family to be there and instead of just letting them live their lives contribute to that community grow and be part of the australian story we've spent six million dollars giving making them, them making them unwell oh and it's a deterrent people will say it's a deterrent it doesn't deter People smugglers, this idea that locking up children, making them sick, spending millions, hundreds of millions of Australian taxpayer dollars is somehow deterring criminals in other countries from doing the wrong thing by exploiting other people. It just isn't, it isn't real. It's living in a fantasy world where we can somehow outsource our moral obligation to other human beings and, and the values that we hold as Australians can be somehow put to one side and we can't do that we can't do that anymore i think i think the things that the the labor party you know during their their during their conference this year they amended their uh, refugee policy um, to address a lot of these issues well one of the big um policies that Labor have taken on, which is great, is this notion of community sponsorships, which has been running in Canada for a really long time and is hugely successful, where communities like Biloela can sponsor visas for families to come and live there. Yeah. So this whole, oh, well, you know, keep them out kind of 
because that that doesn't actually reflect how communities operate, or you know, the, the attitudes towards individual communities, to families, to um, the dog is crying. Yeah. Sorry, the dog is crying. Everyone, are you distressed? Because mummy and daddy are distressed. Is that what's going on? Yes, yeah. it's a distressing situation. But the, but the point- but community sponsorships give families like this a chance. Yeah, and I think you know. <sighs> That's that's one of the policy options that I think is is being looked at. I think there's got to be like we need to understand that we live in a part of the world where there are significant disruptions, and we've been a cause of some of those. You know, you think about what's going to happen in Afghanistan now with the reemergence of the Taliban and the difficulties that country is going through. You think about what's happening in Myanmar. You think about what's happening with the Pacific Islands and climate change, and you know, there's opportunities here. Like, yes, there's obligations. Of course, there are moral obligations. There are humanist obligations. But there's also opportunities for people to come here and start lives. Anybody who walks down any street in any town in Australia is going to see restaurants, is going to see shops, is going to know business owners who have connections to refugees who came to Australia over the last 50 or 60 years. And that's jobs, that's prosperity, that's growing our nation and growing the fabric of our story. I just think for us to have, well, for the Morrison government to have continued to perpetuate the negative policies of the last 25 years and taken it to a level where there is a four-year-old child in a hospital bed in Perth Perth. after we have spent $6 million locking her and her family up for three years or a thousand days, whatever it is, is just, it has to be a tipping point. I think it has to be a tipping point where we go, you know what? Even the people who are most staunchly wanting to protect our borders, who most staunchly don't want those boats at sea, have to look at this and go, this is not this is not a price to pay. But also, I mean, the example of Afghanistan I, I, I want to talk about briefly because it is it's really important. So we are withdrawing from Afghanistan. Yeah. You know, we are part of the troop removal. And Australia has a disgraceful record in Afghanistan. Disgraceful. And there's been more news today about the incident um, in 2012 where Australian troops were involved in a war crime that resulted in more than 12 people dying in Afghanistan. One of the things that's happening there because of the withdrawal of the the um, American and Australian and other troops there is that the Taliban are resurgent and they are doing what they've been doing for some time, which is persecuting the Hazara community. The Hazara are an ethnic minority in um, Afghanistan. They are a culture within a culture. They speak their own language. They're Shiite Muslims. They, there's a significant Hazara um, community in Melbourne that I've had a lot to do with some really incredible people. But the traditions of the Hazara are really liberal, like they believe in democracy and then as a culture they prioritise education and they, you know, yep. put stress the education of girls. Well, since the troops have been withdrawing, the Taliban have been committing mass murders 
of Hazara in Afghanistan, there was a school shooting the other day. They literally mass murdered children who were attending school because they were Hazara because they were at school. And, you know, the Hazara community is in absolute terror about what's going to happen to them, especially because there were a lot of translators and assist and people who were assisting yeah. the Western forces who were there. You know, that's we we're, we're responsible. Like we were part of that. We made promises to these people, and we're leaving. And what's going to happen to them? Like, are we going to just stand by and let there be a genocide? Like in in previous years, we opened our arms and opened our country to these people. Going, you have opportunity here. You have a life here. You have you know systems that that will enable you to contribute back to them and you can be part of a community where we all if you're not a first nations australian you have a migrant story in yeah. you you know like and why don't we you know let's let's embrace this opportunity for for the people of those communities and for our community to say you know what we're not going to keep using temporary migrant labour that's easily exploitable and ship people across oceans to come and work for us for a summer and ship them home again to uncertain circumstances. We're going to bring people to this country on a permanent basis. We're going to say to the Hazara people of Afghanistan, we're going to say to the Tamil people of Sri Lanka, we're going to say to the minorities in Myanmar who are being They're persecuted like yeah. that you can come to this country and like the migrants before you, if you work hard, you will be accepted. You will have the opportunity for you and your children and their children to build a life here and become part of the fabric of the Australian story. And I think that that's, that is the promise of this country. And I, and I want all of us, I want everyone who's listening to this podcast, who engages with us online or in any other way, to really commit to that, that that's something that we should be focused on as an Australian, regardless of our political left, right or indifferent. Let's build our society. Let's build it from with people who want a free, who, who want freedom, who want peace, who want prosperity, who want to work hard and want to be free from the threats of people like the Taliban or, or ethnic cleansers. The idea if you send your daughter to school, she might be killed. You know, that's such a sad and awful story, you know. And, and the first step, in my view, Van, is that we have to abandon policies that see a little girl who was born in central Queensland locked up in a detention centre on an island that was used for nuclear testing and allowed to develop mnemonic septicemia. We have to abandon those sorts of policies. That's the first step. Yeah, it's a bit of a sign the policy's not working. Yeah. Bit of a sign. That's bit of a right. sign that maybe it's not reflecting any kind of moral principle at all. So, and if you think, you know, the Australian border will collapse if we let a four-year-old girl get basic health care, like I... You I don't think, understand borders. <laughs> you, you don't understand borders and I don't think, you're na- the, you know, the nature of your reality is one that really stands up to much scrutiny. So, that was really sad. I'm well, really sad. You know, I, I was on um, my friend Marcus Paul's radio show in the morning, and I love yeah. Marcus Paul. And if you're in Sydney, he does the best commercial breakfast show in the country. He's such a good guy. He's absolutely committed to fighting the good fight, and he lets me on his show occasionally. And he gave this wonderful speech, like advocating for that family and just saying, what have we become? Like, what is this? Yeah. And I started to cry. I was just like, yeah, this is... 
you know. Because it, it strikes at It's the, un-Australian, yeah, what they're doing. it strikes the core of what it means to be Australian, you know. I can't, I can't think of anyone in our community, in the town where we live, that would allow a four-year-old girl to get sicker and sicker and sicker, that would lock up a four-year-old girl because her parents were from a different country, that they, had, that they were fleeing that country, you know. That, that, I can't imagine anyone in our community would actively support that. And, and you know, we should be proud to be Australian. You know, I'm proud of Medicare. I'm proud of super. I'm proud of the minimum wage. These are all great things. But it strikes at the core of what it means to be Australian when you see our government letting that happen. And, and of course, it brings a tear to the eye. Like, of course it does. Like, you're, you're totally right to feel that way. And I, I really hope that, you know, I can see how this is going to play out, folks. Like, it's going to play out that the family will be resettled in New Zealand, probably, or the United States. And, you know, I want them... But they're from Biloela. Yeah, and they should be allowed to go home to Biloela. But you can see that the resettlement is what's going to happen. And, you know... Because that's what this government does. Like, it just Sweeps the problems away. And we can't let that happen. You know, we can't just go, oh, well, that problem was solved and that little girl... We can't forget... We can't forget the family from Biloela even if they end up somewhere else. We have to remember that and make sure it never, ever happens again. Now, I do want to move on um, because we're running out of time. You're not going to believe this, Van, but (laughs) the Morrison government, having spent all of 2020 trying to negotiate an IR package, losing its industrial relations minister under somewhat of a cloud, you might say, in in Christian Porter. His name is Christian Porter. You may have heard of him. Yeah. Um, And resurrecting the political fortunes of former industrial relations minister, Michaela Cash, who tried unsuccessfully throughout her entire time as industrial relations minister to cut wages and job security. Um having dumped its entire IR package except for one small element, has decided it's going to come back again only two or three months later. Like, this is a this is a ideological thing that they're never going to let go. And, you know, within a, within a few weeks of that package being uh, essentially knocked off in the Senate, you had the big business lobby out there calling for IR reform again. Like... Oh, yeah. Well, we've just got to pay people less. And the the, the thing that's really frustrating here What's is... What's the solution to everything? Cut pay... taxes, cut wages. The solution to everything, Ben. We well, need more IR reform. You know, t- like, where does it end? Literally, where does it end? It doesn't every end. Single, <laughs> every single cycle of this is about cutting wages and stripping conditions and cutting wages and stripping conditions. Where does that lead us? Well, this, this now is about cutting wages and stripping conditions in the mining and major projects sector, which is about 50,000 people, right? And... And Michaela Cash is like, oh well, you know, we we're gonna we're gonna fix Greenfield's agreements. We're gonna fix this for the industry. We're gonna provide security for these workers, for these projects, which will in turn trickle down to security. Trickle down. But where have we heard that one before? Well, good look, good on you, Michaela Cash, because let me tell you something. If you strip wages and conditions in the mining sector, you would be amazed, just amazed, how quickly everybody's gonna get on board with um Everybody, how everybody's going to get on board with a more aggressive anti-fossil fuel policy. Because at the moment, you know, the, the tension in this country is that 
for a lot of communities, mining jobs sustain entire towns full of people. Like the money that gets made in mines flows on. That, that's what enables small businesses to continue. It enables families to educate their children and to buy houses. Mm. And there are not other opportunities like that. And that's part of the tension we have to manage as we transition into a low-carbon economy. And we should be really clear about this. The mining industry is not hard up for a quid, right? The mining industry has been quite braggadocious, if I can use the term. Uh, and there's a there's an interesting website people can, can check out, miningtechnology.com, and they've got an article in numbers, how mining came to be Australia's most profitable sector. Like, this is, this is a... This is a thank you very much from a minister who's based in WA for the billionaires who are based in WA, your Twiggies, your Genas, your Clives, um, who are making billions. They're making billions out of our resources. The, the, the idea that, well, we want to be able to give them 10-year agreements with their staff. We, we don't want the workers to ever be able to strike during the life of this agreement, no matter what. We don't want the workers to ever be able to negotiate a pay increase, no matter what. This is an outrageous attempt, an outrageous attempt to transfer wealth from the workers in those mining communities to the mining barons and the multinational corporations that have according to the industry, created themselves Australia's most profitable sector. Mm. It's it's ridiculous that they need it. And, of course, it comes on top of the government refusing to support a minimum wage increase. Um, profits overall in Australia are up 15%. Uh, we've seen the ABS did a study that showed over the last 15 years the cost of essentials has gone up 44%. This is essentials, your bread, your fuel, your housing costs. How much... What do you think the gap is to wages? So essentials have gone up 44%. What do you reckon wages have gone up? 15. Now, there's a 1% gap. So wages have gone up 1% more over 15 years than the cost of essentials. One percentage point more. So there's been no real increase for working people in this country when you take into account that the things you have to buy to live have gone up so much. To say we're gonna we're gonna put downward pressure, more downward pressure on wages, and we're gonna put it on the sector that is the most profitable sector in the economy, at the same time as arguing for what is essentially a real wage cut for minimum wage workers, tells you everything you need to know about Morrison and Cash's commitment to Australian workers. Their commitment is to cut your wages and to cut your ability to increase your pay packet. I just have to get that out there, Ben. How are you feeling? I feel I feel a bit better. Do you want to talk about Justin Hems? Because I don't know if you were quite <laughs> as angry at him last no, week as you really wanted no, to be. No, I, And there, there are subjects that we come back to. I spoke to. about Justin Hems on the uh, weekend I, I bet you did. Yeah, yeah. There are subjects we come back to in this household rather a lot. There are a couple of bugbears. Wage theft is one. Wage suppression is another. Stripping conditions for, for working people is another. Slimeball, fat cat, corporate billionaires, I think, gets... That, that gets mentioned a lot, sometimes with additional swearing. Yeah. But, yeah, no, we take it seriously here at The Week on Wednesday. It's, the, the show is just the hour of conversations we let you hear. So, so please do, please do join your union 
pay attention to these issues because, you know, it's going to impact your pay packet. Let's have some good news. Oh, well, here's some good news. Somebody got in contact with the show last week saying that after listening to the elegant way that we talk about our sponsor, Australian Unions, they, in fact, went and joined the union and were surprised to discover that union membership is a tax deduction. There you go. Yes. And it is the end of financial year. And what a great time to join your union right here, right now, because your union um, membership is a tax deduction, people. AustralianUnions.org.au slash wow. That's week <laughs> on Wednesday. That's the join site. Don't forget this week we're also heavily promoting the Save Medicare petition because it's such an important issue. AustralianUnions.org.au backslash Medicare. Wow. So do so, Give us some more good news, Van. No, let me give you some more good news. I've had a good newsy kind of week. So speaking about migrant stories, half my family are from Ireland. Um, as you know. As I know. And the other half of my family are from Scotland, as you know. As I know. So I have an Irish and a Scottish environmental story. Poor old Ireland. A lot of people who maybe have seen too many films with too many spe- spectacular sunsets may be labouring under the delusion that uh, Ireland is in any way like a warm or balmy country. Uh, climate change affects us all, but it, uh, Ireland is a very, very cold, cold, cold place. And unfortunately, it's very, very cold. Um, for imported bees. So obviously bee populations are an issue. Everybody knows that your bee population drops, suddenly you can't fertilise plants, then everybody dies of starvation, which is bad. And, of course, the use of pesticides and habitat destruction has had a terrible impact on the Irish black bee, which is the indigenous bee of Ireland. There you go. The problem is, so the uh, so um, Irish agricultural producers have been importing um, bees from other countries, so crops can continue to be pollinated. Temporary migrant workers, eh? Temporary migrant work. Well, let me tell you how temporary they are, because it's really cold there, and the bees die. That's awful. And the other problem is that the imported bees have been um, taking over black bee hives, oh. and uh, a hybrid bee has been created, and the hybrid also dies. Oh, right. So they're trying to restore the population of the Irish black bee. Turns out the bee that was there in the first place is the bee that can survive the winter. Amazing. (laughs) Funny that. So a woman has uh, developed um, this amazing portable hive so that the other bees don't take it over so the black bee population can rebuild, which is made out of a combination of like nature waste, like wood shavings, hay and things like that, with mycelium, which is, of course, the underground root structure of mushrooms, which is this amazing material. Hilariously is also heavily referenced in Star Trek Discovery, one of our favourite shows that we highly recommend where spaceships amazingly run on a mycelial network, which I don't think is actually possible, but it's Star Trek. Um, but yeah, so she has won a design award for the Econook, which is a um, which is made out of yeah, and it's made entirely out of post-consumer waste and uh, like natural waste That's products. Awesome and news! Yeah, yeah, it's really, really bringing good. back the bees, bringing back the bees, and restoring the population what's of the, the Irish. What's the bee. good news in Scotland? It's kind of amazing. So my family are not only from Scotland, they're from Glasgow. Wow. And uh, my father, my father, when he was still alive, made a trip back to the old country to check out the family home and found out it was under a freeway. And, um, yeah, so Glasgow, it's a it's an amazing place. Yeah. It's one of also quite cold. Um, but very industrialised. It was very industrialised during industrialized. the Industrial Revolution. So my family were um, shipbuilders there. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah, heavily industrialised, one of the great cities of the Industrial Revolution. Not not great for the working class, which probably explains how we ended up in other countries. However, um, what they've been doing in Glasgow is amazing in terms of reforestation and looking at uh, restoring urban forests. Mm. And they've got a partnership of eight local government areas in yep. the broader Glasgow area who between them are pursuing a tree replanting program of 18 million trees, 18 million trees. And they're creating all of these amazing community programs where local governments are working with communities to look at where they can restore tree cover and making people part of that, like planting a tree in your yard, planting trees on your street, reforesting parks. So rather than having the sort of huge open parks and they're, what they're doing is they've identified where the woodland used to be that ran through Glasgow and where there are pockets of it. And it's part of a broader wildlife restoration project because they're like, look, climate change is coming. They're we know bring back the forests. They're bringing back the forest to Glasgow. And they're like, we have all this post-industrial land, like abandoned buildings, yep. you know, just strips of nothing. Like we're yep. taking it over and we're putting the trees back. And it's phenomenal. And it's actually Scotland who's been carrying Britain's Britain's made all these commitments. Yeah to um, reforestation and revegetation because they actually take climate change fairly seriously there. Yeah. Um, and Scotland has been holding up the reforestation. the reforestation. These amazing projects are going on there and they're like, it's good for communities. It's, you know, it's great for bringing people together. It's fantastic for wilderness. It makes our cities more livable, more beautiful, more breathable. Yep. And they're turning Glasgow into a forest city. Fantastic. That is great news. Are they great news? That is great news and it's such a good way to end the show. Folks, thank you very much for listening to The Week on Wednesday. We have, uh, hopefully the sound quality hasn't been too bad because uh, we're not in the shed today. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed the show. Don't forget to tune into The Weekend Wrap on Sunday afternoons. A big thank you to our sponsor, Australian Unions. Yeah, a big thank you to Marcus Paul, who gives us a shout out on his show yeah, absolutely. all the time. And he's like a guy. real radio person, so that's kind of exciting. But also remember, Ben and I will be doing The Week on Wednesday live. Live and coming in, at you. In my spiritual home of Wagga Wagga um, for the Interesting Festival on June 26th. Sounds interesting, Van. It is a very interesting festival. Gabrielle Chan will also be there. Fantastic. Amazing person, wrote the incredible Rusted Off fantastic book. And Anita Heiss, who everybody loves. Everybody loves The pin-up girl of librarians everywhere, I am told. <laughs> Anita <laughs> Heiss will be there as well. And a bunch of other really interesting people in an interesting festival. 26th of June. 26th of June. So if you're in the Riverina or, you know, maybe Albury or maybe Canberra, which are only a couple of hours away, why not come and see us live um, yeah. and we'll be turning this into a spectator sport? Wow. That's going to be interesting. That's going to be an interesting festival. It's going to be an interesting show. festival. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. So we're really looking forward to that. And don't forget to share this episode. Don't forget to talk to your friends about it. Don't forget to share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, through Spotify, through Apple, through Google, through Stitcher. We're on Stitcher now. I don't even is, know what that is. It's good but fun. But I'm older than you. Yeah, but it's good fun. Check it out. Um, also, we love good news stories, particularly if they're good environmental news stories. Yeah. And I love getting them because they just cheer me up, frankly. So don't forget to sign that petition. Don't forget to send us your good news stories. Uh, we have uh, the week on Wednesday at gmail.com uh, and also you can reach us on Twitter and Facebook. Love you, Vanny. I love you too. Bye. Bye. Be good, Germ.